Well, good morning, Discovery. My name is Scott, and I'm one of the elders here at Discovery Christian Church, and we are so glad to have you here with us this morning. Today, we're going to be going through the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you want to go ahead and grab those uh, so that you can follow along with us in today's passage. Now, we have kind of a, a, a gnarly passage here today where we are going to get to see a story where God has called Saul, the king of Israel at this time, to go and carry out a particular mission. And we're going to see that Saul doesn't fully carry this out. And this leads to some tension. It leads to some unfortunate uh, you know, circumstances and how things end up in the end. But I think there's a lot that we're going to learn along the way here today. Uh, we can learn things about obedience. We can learn about sacrifice. We're going to learn about prayer. And then we're going to certainly dive into things like tension. And a particular thing we'll look at is Saul having a particular issue with his own image. Now, I have a confession to make when it comes to image. Sort of a funny story here. Uh, this was not exactly how I was planning to present myself today uh, for, for this time that we have together. But as you may have heard, you know, some people during this whole COVID crisis are doing home haircuts and they're not always turning out particularly well. Well, I was doing the same thing and unbeknownst to me, the guard was not on my uh, clippers and so kind of ended up with a little unfortunate shaving of this a little too close. And so this is me. You get to see the real me today. I'm not going to be trying to hide or cover up or try to cultivate an image. You just get to see this is what's really happening in my life. And I think that will make a nice parallel with how Saul uh, then carries forward. So let's go ahead and get into our passage. And you can read along with me starting in verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So let's stop right there for just a moment. I want us to take a moment to sit with this and acknowledge that this is a really difficult charge that God has placed upon Saul in this moment, especially for us in a modern time frame where we hear this and we think about uh, total annihilation, we think genocide, and that is going to cause some questions for us to wrestle with this. Why would God do this? Uh, how, how should we be engaging this particular text? One thing to be aware of is this was not exactly an abnormal thing in this particular point in time. This would have been normal maybe for Israel, but certainly for the surrounding nations as well, to engage in this type of conflict. And what we can see here is that this is not a random thing that God is suddenly calling Saul to, but that this has been a long-standing issue between the Amalekites and the Israelites, where they have been enemies dating back all the way to when Israel was leaving Egypt, heading up to the Promised Land. And you can find out more about that story in Exodus chapter 17, but as Israel's heading to the Promised Land, the Amalekites come out to go to battle with them. And in this story, we see Moses lifts up his hands, and when he does this, they win. But whenever his hands drop, 
they start to lose. In the end, the Israelites end up winning the battle. And in Exodus 17, verses 14, uh, it reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a reminder in a book and recite it in the hearing of Joshua. I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And in verse 16, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So that may not make us feel a whole lot better about this, but it does show that there is a long-standing precedence here. These have been enemies for a significant amount of time where they have both tried to do away with each other on a number of occasions. And there is dire consequences potentially for failing to carry this out. Certainly the Amalekites will then raise up and want to attack the Israelites again and do them harm. Ironically, if we move into the book of 2 Samuel, we will see in the first chapter, a man comes to David to announce that Saul has been killed and that he died in battle. And as David uh, has a conversation with him, this man claims to have been the one to actually kill Saul. And when David asks him, who are you? His answer is, I am an Amalekite. So we see that if we fail to carry this out, it had dire consequences for Saul specifically. Now, continuing in today's passage, uh, over the next several verses, uh, we find out about the battle preparations that are made. We find out that Israel uh, tells another group of people who are near the Amalekites to move away because that's what they're about to do. And uh, they're about to go to battle there. And then they actually do initiate the battle. And picking this up in verse 8, it reads, He, that being Saul, took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So we right away get to find out here that they carried out a part of God's will, but they don't fully carry it out here. And the distinction that is made isn't, is really made on the basis of how good are the things that we are able to then carry back with us. If it was something that had no value to it, they were more than you know, willing to get rid of that. But something which they found to be very valuable, they suddenly found another use for. And they decided, let's bring that back. And so we enter into a tension right away about following God versus following our own ways of doing things. Now, this tension will continue in verse 10 as God uh, speaks into this here. And he, he says, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. And in some of your translations, it may say Samuel was angry and then he cried out to the Lord all that night. And we're going to want to hold on to this here. We're going to come back to this. But this is God speaking to Samuel. This is Samuel speaking back. This is prayer. And we want to uh, certainly cover uh, some information about prayer here later on. But hold on to this. We're going to continue forward in the story. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? 
Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. So we're going to stop there for just a moment and take a look here that Samuel goes to Saul right away. He does not delay after being in prayer all night with the Lord, but he goes to him to deliver the message that the Lord has given him. And when he gets to find Saul, Saul immediately tries to get out in front of the situation by claiming, hey, I fully carried out God's will, but Samuel's unwilling to take that bait. Instead, he's going to call him on this and say, if that were true, there wouldn't be sheep here, there wouldn't be cows and what have you. And so he's going to just call this out directly, you know, increasing this tension, increasing the confrontation that is going to take place. Um, and then Saul is going to say, well, yes, we did bring this back, but we had a reason for it. See, we want to do sacrifice. And sacrifice is a good thing. At that time, in that system, this is, is something that uh, was regularly practiced. And so for him, there is a reason behind it. There's a justification. Verse 17, Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? So Samuel's very clear about this here. He reminds Saul, this is who you are. This is what God called you to do. So you knew what the instructions were. And then he says that what he did is evil. There is no you know, uh, uh, confusion here. He's making no bones about it. This is what's happening. Saul still is not willing to accept this at this point. So he says, but I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. So again, he's going to fall back on the same defense. He's going to then, again, talk about sacrifice as being a really important uh, consideration here for why he's done what he's done. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So Samuel makes it very clear here. Sacrifice, yes, it has a place, but it is not more important than obedience, right? And because Saul has chosen to do something different, he is making it clear to him the kingship is being taken away from you because you are not willing to obey God. Then, Samuel, or then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. So at this point, Saul now is willing to acknowledge that he has done something wrong. Um, and at this point, he then says, come back with me. And what we see in the ensuing verses here is that Samuel basically says, I'm not coming back with you because you aren't willing to follow God. He turns to leave. Saul grabs Samuel's robe and it rips in his hand. Samuel, like any good prophet, sees the symbolism within this and uses it to explain things and says to him, 
hey, you know, just how that ripped, that's what's happening from with you and the kingdom. It's being taken right out of your hand and given to someone else. So despite hearing this now multiple times that the kingdom is being taken from him, Saul continues to say, come back with me so that I can worship the Lord. But this time he, he adds in a second thing. And so that you can honor me in the sight of Israel and their leaders. So Samuel decides he's going to go back. And then he is the one who actually completes what God uh, had initially set out for the instructions by executing Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And then in verse 34, we get this. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. So we have here a really difficult passage, one that ends up with a really sad ending. And it leads us to wonder what might have happened. How could this have certainly turned out differently for Saul and for the rest of Israel here as well? But I think there are some really positive things that we can see in this passage today. So let's turn to those now. Okay, the first thing that we can see here surrounds the issue of prayer. Now, we've been in a practice of prayer over the last several weeks, and I think that this passage can really teach us a lot of very good things, even though this is not a passage that most people naturally gravitate towards when they think about prayer. Beginning back in verse 10, we see that God speaks to Samuel, demonstrating the, the depth of their relationship, that he speaks to him, and that Samuel's attuned with that and hears what God has to say. Um, what we also pick up from this, though, is Samuel's response to this. That when God says that he is grieved over making Saul king, you know, not exactly a positive thing to be sharing, Samuel leans into this process. He leans in by praying to God all night, which demonstrates his persistence in prayer. But we also see that it says uh, that Samuel is either troubled or in some uh, uh, versions, it says that he is angry. And so he goes before God with the fullness of his emotions that are there, demonstrating his raw, open honesty before God, um, which I think is really something that we would want to learn from, and we can do the same. In the midst of a crisis here, he is taking the fullness of himself and going before God this way. And it shows that God can really handle us uh, as we are. It shows that he as the one who made us, so he knows we have emotions, and so we should be willing to take those before God. I think sometimes there is a belief that we need to be overly pious before God, but this is a really strong counterpoint to that. Now, after praying all night, it says that Samuel goes in the morning to find Saul and then deliver the message. So even though this is not a positive message that he is bringing to Saul, he does not delay to put into action what it is that he has heard from God. All things that I think we can examine ourselves and think about in our prayer lives. Are you leaning into God, whether it's easy or difficult? Um, are you praying you know, for a significant length of time? Really, is this important to you? Is it demonstrating that you're persistent here? Do you pray with your emotions? Do you respond to what you are hearing from God? Now, a second big thing that we can definitely take from this here is the tension that exists over this issue of obedience. Uh, it seems to be a rather 
human condition that we all want to be the king. Not literally, but figuratively, so that we can go ahead and call the shots and be the ones who are uh, deciding how things are to be done without necessarily having to be answerable to anyone else. It's true for Saul. I think it's true for a lot of us today. And so we see this within Saul's story here that there's an issue over uh, obeying God on his terms or on our terms. And Saul raises this over the issues of obedience versus sacrifice. And we see with sacrifice, good thing, but it can be uh, turned into a bad thing when we use this as a way of avoiding doing what God has called us to do. He essentially decides to put his own spin on what it means to follow God in this situation. And then when confronted with this, he then tries to justify it as being fully aligned with God. And so there's a very real and very heavy tension that exists here uh, in this story about what does this mean to obey God. And I think we find from Samuel it means that you fully trust in God's ways of doing things and obey him in that way, not try to insert our preferences into the story here. Uh, it's the antidote, if you will. If you're familiar, there's an old hymn that says, Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Saul chooses a different path. This is a deliberate choice that he makes here. It's not an accident. It's not that he misunderstood the instructions. He simply made a different choice, and he was allowing himself to be led by fear. As he says in verse 24, it was the fear of the people that led him in this other direction, which is that other uh, tension that's there between do I obey God on his terms or do I follow in line with what man wants? And so there is good that we can take from this, learning that obeying and trusting in God is always going to lead to a better outcome than if we are looking at those around us or to our own preferences and saying, I'm going to obey that instead. Now we see Saul has a significant image issue that is leading him in this direction. And if we go back in his story to when Israel first makes him king back in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, at first he demonstrates a lot of fear by hiding in the baggage. They can't even find him while he is there. And I uh, believe that he probably has a significant image issue, one of fear that was leading him at that moment and permeated his life and continued to lead him going forward. In today's passage, after having this victory, one of the first things we find out that he does is he goes and builds a monument to himself to demonstrate his own superiority, to cultivate an image, perhaps to recognize that kings just aren't people who walk around being led by fear, so let me project a different image instead, one that shows that I am comfortable and confident in my superiority. When Samuel confronts him on this issue of not fully carrying out God's will, he also does some damage control by shifting the blame to others. In both verses 15 and 21, we see Saul put the blame on the people as a means of protecting his own image. So in verse 15, he says, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the cattle. So he says, when something went wrong, it was them. But the rest, we have utterly destroyed. So when something went right, suddenly he changes his pronouns in there and includes himself. Verse 21, from the spoil, the people took sheep and cattle. 
So he reiterates this later. It's still going with the defense that it wasn't me, it was the people. Instead of saying, I'm the leader and the buck stops here. Now, this fear of the people is significant. He, he mentions this in verse 24 after saying, you're right, I did do wrong. It's because I was afraid of the people. And this is a recurring problem in the life of Saul. Last week, Steve walked us through chapters 13 and 14, and there's a scene or a moment in chapter 13 where Saul and Samuel are going to meet up prior to a battle. And when this happens, Samuel's going to show up and offer a sacrifice, and then off they'll go to the battle. When Samuel is delayed, Saul becomes afraid that this means that the people are going to start to uh, desert, and he's going to lose control over the army. And so he offers the sacrifice instead, even though it was inappropriate for him to do this. And so we see that there is a recurring issue taking place with Saul having to do with sacrifices, where he's making some bad choices in order to maintain his image in front of other people. In the New Testament, there's a, a guy named Paul who writes to a younger man named Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, he writes, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so this is how we want to be led, not by fear, but by leaning into God and the gifts that he has given, his spirit. In this moment, Saul's not being led by God's spirit. He's choosing to be led by other people. He has his eyes focused elsewhere, and he's being led by fear. Finally, we see that uh, Saul asks Samuel to come back with him in order to honor him in front of the elders of Israel. So even though Samuel's already made it clear, you're no longer going to maintain the kingship. He still says, yes, but maintaining the image itself is still vitally important to me today. So those are some things we can definitely see playing out here. And we have to ask ourselves and wonder, what is our image of ourselves? How does this affect the way that we do things? Are we paying more attention to what others think of us or what God thinks of us? Twice in this story, we see God say that he regrets having made Saul king. And if my life were ever portrayed in the Bible, I know that I would want to live in a way that avoids having my name, God's name, and the word regret all in the same sentence. And I certainly hope that you do too. And so it's something for us to really reflect on and think about. How am I living my life right now? How would God see this? Is it more important to me what God sees or what other people see? When Israel asked for a king initially back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel takes this pretty hard and says, they've rejected me. And God tells him, actually, it's not you they're rejecting, it is me. They're no longer wanting to follow me, but they're wanting to look like the people who are around them. So in this passage for today, we see Saul listening to the people, paying more attention to what they are interested in and cultivating his own image as being a continuation of this rejection and a fulfillment of what God had to say. And so really examine our own lives and think about how are we living in relation to image? Is it with God or is it with other people in mind? And those are some things that we can take in here for our modern applications. We've already talked about prayer being important, talked about obedience, but certainly this idea of image is just as important today as it was back then. Image is both an ancient and a modern issue.
Uh, we live in a very socially connected world where it can be easy to want to look a certain way, to have a certain number of likes or followers, or make sure that that image that we post projects a perfect life or has been filtered in just the right way. And so for many of us, there is a temptation to move in the direction of portraying an image that may not actually uh, align with the reality. And we have to ask ourselves, are we more concerned with looking good or are we more concerned with doing good and being good? This is a problem that the Pharisees have in the time of Jesus as well. They wanted to look like they were following God, but they weren't actually that interested in actually following God. So for us, the, the issue is really no different than then. What are we more concerned with? Are we concerned with what, uh, the image we portray to other people, or are we more concerned with the image that we portray to God that reflects who we actually are? are. Uh, the second part here is that there is a real struggle, both again ancient and modern, with seeing things through to completion. Saul begins to carry out uh, what God has sent him on a mission to do. In fact, probably carries out most of it, the majority of it. But at some point, he makes a distinction and says, I'm not going to carry it through to completion. And he deems this is good enough. I think that many of us might do the same thing. If we look at our, our COVID responses in the world today, everyone began to shut things down. But after a time, a lot of places started to decide, you know, I think this is good enough. So let's go ahead and just start returning to normal, even if we weren't fully ready yet. I want to encourage us, don't settle for partially following God and then declaring this is good enough. This is what Saul has done. But instead, come and experience the goodness of God by devoting yourself wholeheartedly to him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good. And we thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you, that we can come to you, Lord, that we can share with you, Lord, openly and honestly, that we can obey you because we know your ways are better than our ways. We also know, Lord, that there's always going to be temptations and tendencies to go in a different direction, to put our own spin on things, to follow you in ways that match our preferences instead of your will. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would watch over us, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, and that you would lead us and guide us so that we would follow you with all of our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.